morning and welcome to Real Truth for Today. I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve. I'm the pastor at First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries. Some people ask me, they say, you know, if I'm on the phone or on the radio, what's your last name? It's Shreve, like Shreveport, Louisiana, although it's spelled a little different, S-C-H-R-E-V-E. And the program is Real Truth for Today. You know, truth is under such tremendous attack in our world. Well, we, we live in a world where it's uh, subjective truth, his truth, her truth, your truth, my truth, and truth is just subjective. That means whatever you think about it, whatever you feel about it, well, that's true for you. Truth is not subjective. Truth is objective. Truth is not what you feel about it. Truth is what God says, regardless of of how you feel about it. Now, Jesus said of himself, John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, a truth, and a life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. When he prayed his great prayer in John chapter 17, verse 17, he said to his father, sanctify them, speaking of his disciples, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So we get truth, objective truth, foundational, absolute truth from the word of God. What does God say about a situation, a subject, or a matter? Now today we want to talk about the hotly debated issue of homosexuality, same-sex attraction, and gender dysphoria. Those things are lightning rod subjects in our age as people, you know, back a hundred years ago, that wasn't an issue at all. Nobody uh, questioned those things primarily in society, but they're being questioned today. And I am pleased to welcome to the program a friend of mine who is the executive director of Living Hope Ministries. This man has helped thousands and thousands of people who struggle with same-sex attraction, who struggle with gender dysphoria. Uh, his name is Ricky Shalette. Ricky, welcome to Real Truth for today. Well, good morning, Pastor, and it's great to be here today. Well, you, uh, you have a great ministry, my friend, and you have helped me personally uh, understand the core issues of same-sex attraction, and uh, I know that your background is, is such that uh, God has uniquely positioned you to, to speak to hearts and lives about these issues and these struggles that people have, they're real struggles and they're real issues, and God has the real truth for these struggles. So can you uh, let our listeners know a little bit about your background, Ricky, and how God led you to be the executive director of Living Hope? Sure, sure. Um, well, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I had a, a, a home that didn't really know much about Jesus. They had some understanding of faith in a very general kind of secular way. Um, but, you know, I had a great mom and a great dad, and they, they loved me, but they were um, married very young, and so they were teenagers when they got married and had me, and my dad, you know, pretty much shipped out and, and uh, went to work to try to support the family, as good dads do, and uh, so I was there with my mom, and mom had two sisters, and, and I had two grand—I mean, yeah, two sisters, and I had two grandmothers, but all of them were unmarried or divorced, so there was a whole lot of women in my life. Uh, yeah. when I was growing up, which was which was interesting and fun. But uh, 
but just lots of women. And I was this really sensitive little boy. And, uh, you know, I, I did well through school and people liked me and, and things seemed to be going well. But in the process of all of that, what happened around, you know, six, seven, eight years old, somewhere in those young ages is my one of my grandmothers married for the third time. And when she did, uh, I had the step grandfather that came into my life and I was so excited. He was he was a great person to me and, and just loved on me and affirmed me and gave me lots of affection and attention. And I just ate all that up. I thought, wow, this is the best thing ever. We did all kinds of cool things together and, and had a great time together. But what people didn't know about him is that he was a pedophile. And he began to um, molest me pretty early in my life. And that was something that continued on a very regular basis, um, you know, all into my teens and even a little bit into my 20s, uh, even though I'd separated from him and stopped the activity. Uh, he tried, you know, when I was in my 20s. And so needless to say that, that greatly impacted the way that I perceived uh, love, the way that I perceived interactions with men, the way that I perceived my value and worth as a person. And uh, that, that really haunted me all through uh, my high school years, especially because at that point I kind of realized that everybody wasn't sleeping with their grandpa, that that wasn't a normal activity. And that um, I knew now that I had some feelings even for some of my friends, though I didn't do anything with them, but I had these, these attractions toward them that I now knew were gay uh, or homosexual. And, and I didn't want those attractions, but I didn't really know how to make those attractions go away. And what is very common, you hear people talk about, you know, in our culture today is, well, you know, I prayed and prayed and prayed that the, the gay would go away and it didn't go away. Well, I did that very thing. Uh, the, the little I knew about faith was that God was a good God. And if you prayed, he listened and answered. And so I prayed and prayed, but the feelings didn't go away. So it, because the feelings didn't go away, I decided at some point that maybe I should go away. And so I, uh, I went into my mom's medicine cabinet, grabbed all the pills I could find, and I took them early one morning. She didn't find me until late that night uh, in my bedroom. I couldn't talk. She brought me to the doctor. I didn't die, obviously. Uh, but no one really talked about, about why I did that. Nobody asked any questions about it. Nobody said much of anything. Um, at least not that I remember. And, uh, and six weeks or so later, I found myself even more depressed because I thought, wow, I can't even kill myself well. Uh, so I decided then that I would grab a pistol that I had used with my dad and grandfather many times and, and uh, brought that pistol in my room, got down on the side of my bed, put the gun in my mouth, and was about to pull the trigger when I realized that, that I had a friend of mine who had brought me to church a couple of times. Uh, he was a great piano player and and his family was, was super, and I spent a lot of time with he and his family, and, and uh, I remember them telling me about Jesus. But more importantly, I remember going to church with him and the preacher preaching about this Jesus and talking about the gospel and how it can transform your life and change your life. And to be honest, Pastor, I, I, you know, when I first heard it, I thought, well, this is crazy. Like, why would people believe that a God came from heaven and came to earth and then would die on a cross to save people who don't even want to be saved. I mean, they don't even like him. Why would that, why would he do that? And why would you Christians believe this ancient old book? But in that moment with that steel in my mouth, I, I thought, you know what? These people really live differently than I live. Their, their family was different than my family was Their Their interactions with people was just different. And there was something about them that was special. And I thought, well, maybe they did have an answer that I needed. And so in that moment, in the darkness of that room, I just prayed out loud and said, God, if you're real, uh, I don't know if you can do what you can do. I don't know if 
if you can change the things that need to be changed. But if you can do what you can do and you are who they say you are, then you need to do it right now or I'm going to pull this trigger and paint the wall red. And in that moment, Jesus showed up to me in that room and he embraced me and he told me that he would be a father to the fatherless and he would never leave me or forsake me. I didn't know those were scriptures at the time, but I later discovered they were. And from that moment on, I can't say that I never had a temptation again, but I can tell you that I had a Heavenly Father that was present in my life that began to to work a radical work in me to uh, redirect literally everything in my life. And, uh, and now I've you know, been serving as a minister for almost 40 years uh, in churches and being executive director of Living Hope for the last 16 years. And uh, God has just shown me more powerfully than ever how the power of the gospel transforms people. And, and I didn't start out, you know, obviously this job isn't on a seminary list of possible things to do. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I, I came to First Baptist Church in Arlington as the single adult outreach pastor. And in the process of being that single adult pastor, I realized there were people in the Metroplex that were struggling with this issue uh, that nobody was helping. And God just kind of tapped me on the shoulder and began to say to me, hey, I think you need to do this. And I said, no way, God. Like, I'm not touching this. Nobody likes this. I've dealt with it. I've walked through it. At this point, I was married, happily married. Uh, and I thought, I don't want to I don't want to deal with any of this. But the Lord was persistent. And uh, and I sought my pastor here and, and to talk to him about it. We prayed about it. Long story short, he said, yeah, I, I think you need to go ahead and and do that. And so sure enough, they were gracious enough to allow me to remain on staff, but to be the executive director for this ministry. And, uh, and that's what I still do today. And I'm incredibly blessed uh, by the church that supports what we do, but also by the countless numbers of individuals who've come through the ministry. And I have been witness firsthand and up close and personal to the radical transformation that God has wrought in their life. And, uh, and it's just a beautiful thing to see. It's a beautiful thing to see the gospel at work. That is so cool. Now, Ricky, when you came to our church and you did the the whiteboard demonstration about how how these things you know happen yeah. in a in a guy's life, uh, excellent and uh, it was really eye opening. But although everybody's story is is different, a little different, the the mm-hmm. core issue in involved in same sex attraction doesn't tend to be that different, does it? Well, in my experience, and and again, you know, I've been I've been doing this for twenty plus years now. I've talked to thousands and thousands of people all over the world because our ministry has an online thing that we've been doing since 1989. We've had 20,000 plus people come through there from 170 different countries. And so, you know, I've had the unique privilege of talking to lots of folks in lots and lots of places. And every one of them, uh, when they talk about their story, kind of comes down to some basic things that they're looking for uh, in the process of acting out sexually or feeling sexually drawn toward other people. Now, sometimes it's abuse, like my case was, but in almost every case, what is very much a part of the process is that if it's a little boy, uh, they are inherently very sensitive boys. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that they're crying at the drop of a hat, though sometimes they do, but but it's more that the passions of their heart uh, seem to be just more sensitive to everything in the world. And so they are very aware of what's going on around them all the time. They're, uh, they, they, the way I describe it is they have a big magnifying glass attached to the lens of their soul. Uh, everything they experience or happens to them, they experience much more profoundly 
than if that same thing were to happen to, say, a rough-and-tumble guy. And I would also say that the sensitive boys uh, make up a very small portion of the adult, you know, of the male population, not adults in, in general, but just males in general. And, um, and I think that's shown, you know, statistically true. There's several folks that have done research on sensitive, sensitive individuals, and they say they make up about 20% of the population of, as, you know, as a whole. Uh, but I would say the sensitive boys are probably about three to five percent of that 20 percent whole population. And so they're, you know, they're not very uh, frequent. And as a result of that, they often feel very different than the boys around them. And that begins this whole process of wanting to belong, wanting to be like the rest of the boys. And uh, but yet feeling very different than those boys feel. Well, and in our culture today, they immediately are told, well, that's because you're gay. Now, that's right. yeah. in your situation, you weren't necessarily told that by the culture, were you? Um, no, I really wasn't. I, I really wasn't. I mean, I had a little bit of teasing and stuff when I was in probably in middle school and a little bit in high school, but not very much at all. Uh, I was really very popular in school. I did really well academically and I was student council president, my junior high and my senior high. And so, um, you know, lots of folks liked me and, and I got along well with folks. I was pretty outgoing. Uh, so, so I didn't have a lot of teasing or ridicule or that kind of stuff. Uh, but there was this sensitivity in my heart, for sure, that I, I knew I wasn't like all the other guys. I didn't like a lot of things. I didn't like sports. I didn't want to participate in sports, per se, uh, even though I fished and hunted and did things like that. Um, I, I just felt very different. And, and I think, of course, obviously, the stuff that was happening that nobody knew about uh, added to that difference in my life. When did your grandmother find out about that? She didn't find out until actually after I was married. I was I was 26 or 7 when I finally went to my parents and told them what had happened. And the reason I did that is because I had two younger siblings, same mom and dad, because my mom and dad were so young when they had us. Uh, they had two more kids. They, I have another brother that's just a few years younger, but then I have a um, an 18 to 15 year younger sibling, and I decided to tell them so. Is, is that guy still around in the family? No, he actually passed away several years ago. And, uh, wow. But my grandmother stayed married to him even after she knew about what had taken place. Yikes. Well, we're talking to Ricky Shalette, who is the executive director of Living Hope Ministries and has helped thousands and thousands of people with his teaching on the issue of same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria. This is Living Hope. This is Real Hope for today, and I'm your host, Jeff Shree. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. Here's some great news. If you missed the deadline to sign up for health insurance, or if like a lot of people, you just have a plan you're not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. It's a Christian healthcare sharing program. There are more than 400,000 members now, and they love it. In fact, MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to that of health insurance. And MediShare really is the gold standard when it comes to healthcare sharing. It's been around more than 25 years. Members have shared more than $4 billion of each other's medical bills. Plus, MediShare is for you. It has saved its members billions by advocating on their behalf. Best of all, the typical savings for a family is around $6,000 a year. So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, think again. MediShare has a 98% customer satisfaction rating, and you are invited to be part of it. Call now. 
833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Take a time out in the corner. Refuse to allow anything, whether they be relationships, whether they be friends and family members, whether they be a Supreme Court refusing to hear a case, whether they be any election results, no matter what it is, refuse to allow those things to eclipse the preeminence of Christ in your life. The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, weekday afternoons at 5 Central on AFR. The podcast is available anytime at AFR.net. This is Frank Gaffney, host of Secure Freedom Radio. It's your personal daily intelligence briefing about the challenges we face, how they're likely to affect you, and what we can do about them. You can find Secure Freedom Radio here every weeknight at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Tune in to learn from our extraordinary experts what you need to know and will want to share. Join us for Secure Freedom Radio tonight at 11 Eastern, right here on AFR. 80% of the time, an abortion-minded mother who views an ultrasound or sonogram of her baby will choose life. Here's the story of Candace. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen and knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. There are currently preborn centers which do not have an ultrasound machine. Would you sponsor a machine today? Dial pound 250 and say keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Your love could save a life. Welcome back to Real Truth for Today. I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve. I'm the pastor at First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries. From His Heart is heard every weeknight at 6 p.m. Central Time on American Family Radio. Now, at From His Heart, we have a, a tagline, which is real truth, real love, and real hope. Sometimes I get those confused. Which real are we talking about? Are we talking about truth, hope, or love? And so uh, we have today on the broadcast, Ricky Shalette, who is the executive director of Living Hope. And I, I transferred those things. I, I said I was with Living Hope, and I'm, this is real truth for today. <laughs> and uh, we are talking to Ricky Shalette. And, and G, uh, Jesus said in John 17, 17, kind of our, our cornerstone verse for today, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. We get real truth from the Word of God. And Ricky, let me ask you, as, as you uh, prayed to receive Christ in that desperate moment in your life, um, and things did change because he, he transforms our life from the inside out, but, but those attractions that you had, had kind of ingrained in you, how did that change? And was that instantaneous? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. I think, um, you know, one of the questions I often get is what does healing look like for people who struggle with this issue? And, and one of the things I say to people often is the fact that all of our uh, sins are sins that we use to cope with some other pain or difficulty in our life. 
uh, whether you're an alcoholic, you're a drug addict, you're, you're, you know, a womanizer, whatever it might be, we typically do those. There's reasons we do those things, and we do them because ultimately they meet some deep need in our life. Now, getting rid of those things in our life, uh, though it is advised, it, it is difficult to just completely rid ourselves of something that became a default coping mechanism for us uh, through a big part of our life. And so when people ask me, you know, well, can you be or are you ever attracted to someone of the same sex? My answer is yes, on occasion. But when that happens, I know exactly what's taking place. I can kind of deconstruct that attraction and figure out what's happening in my heart uh, at the moment. And then I'm able to move past it. So my definition of healing, which I think is applicable to not only sexual sin of any kind, but just sin in general, is that healing is not the absence of temptation, but the presence of temptation with the ability to choose Christ in the midst of that temptation. Now, we see that happen even in the life of Jesus, where after 40 days of fasting, the devil meets him, takes him out, and then shows him a stone and says, turn this stone into a loaf of bread. And I can't imagine uh, knowing Eastern cultures a little bit but realizing how that bread is kind of the sustenance and the basic of, of, of their life there, and to think that some hot loaf of bread would be offered to you after 40 days of fasting. I mean, I know Jesus was the Son of God, but he was also human, and I think that hot bread would have been awfully tempting. But Jesus said, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I'm going to live by every word that comes from the Lord, from God. And so here was Jesus, tempted in all manners as we are, yet without sin, and saying to us that, yes, you're going to be tempted, but you don't have to give in to that temptation. Why? Because Christ has died for us, and his death and resurrection has conquered sin and the power of sin in our lives. And, of course, we're assisted in that process with the Holy Spirit that God gives us. And so, so yes, I, I can still be tempted at times. It doesn't happen nearly like it used to. It's pretty rare, uh, but, but that can happen. But I've, I've chosen that that is not who I am. I know that that's not who I am. And so therefore, I'm not going to act on the things that I feel. And, and that's another big thing in, in the conversation, the narrative that's happening right now. People talk about, well, you don't understand. You know, I feel this way. Therefore, you know, I am this way. And my response to that is, I totally understand how you feel. I'm not denying those feelings. But the reality of God's Word says, that your feelings, though given by God and are good as signposts and warnings for things that may be happening in our lives, feelings don't tell us who we are. They simply tell us how we are at a given moment. And so oh. if, yeah, so, so if our that, feelings that's change, a, that's then a, our say, identity changes. Ricky, yeah. say that again, because that is a tremendous line. Yeah, our feelings don't tell us who we are. They simply tell us how we are at a given moment. And so my identity is not based on my feelings. My identity is based on my understanding of God's Word and His creation of me as His beloved Son. My feelings may change, you know, and usually they will, even in the course of a day. They'll, they'll go all over the place, depending on what kind of news I have or what's taking place in my life or who's mad at me or who's happy with me or whatever. But my identity doesn't change in the midst of all that. And so one of the things we do here at Living Hope is, is we help people understand God's Word and apply that Word to their lives. You know, lots of ministries like ours have gone out of business. Uh, many of them are called conversion therapy ministries, which is a horrible misnomer because we don't do therapy, nor are we seeking to make a, 
a person who's struggling with this straight per se. What we are seeking to do is make every person a disciple of Christ and obedient to the Word of God. And so we simply disciple people and teach God's Word. I get asked all the time, well, what's the curriculum? You know, I was like, well, it's the Bible. That, that's what we have. I, I wish I had a curriculum I could hand you, but I don't. I just have the Word of God because I believe that His Word is life. And as we learn it, as we live it, as we incorporate it into our lives, uh, we live the best life possible. Amen. Well, now, Ricky, if a, a guy that comes to you attracted to guys or a girl that comes to you attracted to females, it gets down to the this there's similar holes in their hearts, right? I mean, it's not like a plethora of uh, other issues. It's It, it kind of boils yeah. down to a, a two or three things that are really causing that. What yeah, would be those and, things? And, yeah, there, there are obviously lots of factors that contribute to our sexual attractions, and those are varied and complicated and, and multifaceted for everyone. But uh, we kind of boil them down to, you know, three things that we think a lot that, that I see over and over again, and that is, uh, affirmation, that is, you're good enough, you have what it takes, you're strong enough, you're capable, you measure up to everybody. Uh, those are affirmations that we get, especially from our, our parents. Uh, attention, which is someone seeing you not just in a physical way where they notice that you're present, your body's there in the room, but, but seeing into you, they see who you are, what, what, what your passions are, what your desires are, and they acknowledge those and affirm those and bless those in your life. Those are the things that, that God has created inherently about who you are and how you think, function, you know, act, and that kind of thing. And then the, the third one is um, affection, just receiving physical touch from other people. And that's particularly true in the very early childhood stages from zero to about 10 or so years old. Uh, you know, is this child appropriately touched? Is he loved on? Is he, does he know what positive touch feels like? Does she know what positive touch feels like? And I often tell uh, preschool parents, as I do talks with moms and dads of preschoolers, that, you know, if you don't touch your child appropriately and let them know what good touch feels like, somebody will touch them and it won't be appropriate. Uh, so it's super important for parents to love on their kids and be physical with their kids. And that's why I think God placed us in that triadic kind of relationship between mom, dad, and kid, uh, that we have this accountable uh, relationship with these individuals, and it's it's a way for us to learn how to experience positive, healthy, appropriate touch in our lives. You know, a kid who's starving like I was, I mean, I didn't have a very good relationship with my dad in one part because he was gone a lot, but in another part because I think, you know, we just had some conflicts of personality between the two of us even very early on in, in my childhood. And as a result, I didn't get touched a lot from him. And the Bible even tells us, you know, the man who is hungry, even that which is bitter tastes sweet. And I think when my step-grandfather came along and began to all of a sudden touch me and, and want to have this physical connection with me, uh, because I had nothing else to, to really measure it against, I had no other male interaction, I think I was very susceptible to receiving that, and I think he perceived that uh, and, and, and you know, was predatory on, on that reality. And next thing you know, you know I'm, I'm hooked into this physical relationship uh, with this person that I was told to trust and listen to and obey. If that had never happened in your in your childhood, Ricky, do you think you would have had a, an issue with this, even though? Um. Yeah, I don't know. I I've thought about that a lot. Uh, I probably would have to some degree. Uh, 
I think just because I was such a, and am such a sensitive guy and sensitive guys, one of the characteristics of us is we tend to be uh, very creative, artistic, expressive. We want to express our emotions in creative, artistic, expressive kinds of ways. And so I was always all about that. I mean, I've written musicals and do art and sing and, and uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And again, those things are often associated with gayness, but they're not gay things. Those are not homosexual things. Those are giftings that God has given to these sensitive men for the purpose of glorifying him. And so I, I don't look at any of those things and think that they're, uh, you know, they're homosexual or gay in any way. In fact, I am a big proponent of expanding as much as possible uh, the restrictions of our definitions of masculinity and femininity. You know, I have no problem with a man who wants to, you know, be a cook or a painter or a dancer or a musician or a ballet person. And I have no problem with a woman who wants to go with her dad and hunt deer or be a welder or a mechanic. Uh, those, are, those are simply jobs and, and expressions of who we are. They don't define our masculinity or femininity. And so I feel like I am a very masculine male, uh, but I do have incredibly sensitive types of things that I love to do. And, uh, and I'm gifted at those things. God, God allowed me to be gifted at those things. And so I, I want to do them to glorify him. Well, certain industries, because of that, the the, the sensitive child, the, the other than, as you talk about on the whiteboard, yeah. not the rough and tumble, but the other than. So uh, areas of music and art and theater and drama, that seems to attract sure. a, a, a guy like that. Absolutely, and, yeah. And, that, and I think that's why you see people stereotype those, those particular traits as being homosexual, when in fact they're not. But I'll tell you, too, we also see these sensitive young men in the church. Because the church is one of the few places that as a sensitive other than little boy, uh, you can go and be applauded for the very giftings that you have. Now, granted, some of those same guys who are showing up that are rough and tumble that are in the youth group on Sunday morning and, you know, they're, they're worshiping with you on Sunday morning on Monday may make fun of you for singing in the, you know, in the band or leading the music or something. But right. on Sunday, they're going to be there and they're going to worship with you, you know, right. so there is there is a higher propensity, I think, for some of these guys who struggle to be in the church. And I think, too, their sensitivity makes them very aware and responsive to the Holy Spirit and God's, and God's prompting in their life. Uh, obviously, the, the people who come to us are coming to us because uh, they struggle with this issue and they feel like it conflicts with their faith and their feelings are conflicted, and so they come and, and talk to us about it. So I have a little bit of a you know, a, a strange sample group in the sense that everybody that comes to me has probably grown up in the church or at least has a knowledge of, you know, Christ and salvation. Uh, but I mean, all of these guys have, have been in, and girls, you know, have been involved in the church. They're sitting in the pew, you know, this Sunday, and uh, they're hoping to hear a word that's going to be hopeful for them rather than a, a word of condemnation and uh, rejection. And I think the church has sometimes not done a good job at letting them know that the door is wide open for God to work redemption and healing in their lives. I think that is so important. I tell people that all the time. Now, I'm, I'm a hard hardliner in terms of this is true and this is false, but hey, if you struggle with this or, or a plethora of things, as you said, you know, whether it's alcohol or drugs or pornography or homosexuality or something like that, it's to mask a, a different 
issue, a deeper issue. And um, mm-hmm. so we want people that are struggling to come to the church. To I mean, the church is a hospital for hurting people. It's it's there to help you. Jesus is the healer. And, uh, That's right. We don't have it all. To, if you have to have it all together before you come to church, well, no one can come. That's right. That's exactly right. And and the great part about Christ is that he says to us, he's going to wash us, he's going to justify us, and he's going to sanctify us. Well, that sanctification process, you know, though it happens in the moment, I believe, that that we accept Christ as our Savior and Lord and we surrender to him, it also is a continuing process that takes place throughout the rest of our lives. Nobody looks exactly like Jesus when they get saved. Uh, you know, I mean, we're, no. we're pretty nasty and ugly when we first come to the Lord, and we get a little better, hopefully, in, in the, on the journey, but that is going to take us a while. And, and the same thing is true with this issue. You know, folks who struggle with this may take, you know, one step forward and two steps back, and we've got to be patient and understanding with them, knowing that this is a process, much like if you had a person who was an alcoholic and they come to the Lord and they say, okay, I'm done with this, but then three weeks from now, something terrible happens at their job and they end up at the bar and they get drunk and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. Well, they did it and it wasn't right, but God can forgive them. And as long as they're repentant and seeking to move forward, I think there is a definite, you know, we want to walk with them. We want to stand with them. We want to encourage them in any way we can. And so I, I think that's a big part of this process. This is a it's a difficult journey. It's a long journey. And because it has now become an identity with individuals, this is now not something you simply struggle with. This is who you say you are. And that presents it as a whole big, deeper issue, because suddenly now I'm no longer identified with Christ. I'm identified with my feelings. Well, I've often said that, that whatever the sin is, uh, if you attach it to your personhood, that's when you cut yourself off from the Lord because he is not going to embrace your sin. He loves you. He hates your sin. And so if you say, well, God, unless you accept this, this is who I am. And when that sin gets attached to your personhood, uh, you're in a whole different, it's a whole different ball game. And uh, until you recognize sin is sin, that's like First John chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we say we have not sinned. We're calling God a liar. And you can't get right with God if you're calling him a liar. So we're talking to Ricky Shillette, the executive director of Living Hope. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about what a parent is to do when uh, he or she sees some difficulties with a child and, and this whole idea of gender dysphoria and the pressure that's put on kids today. If you're a tomboy, that means you should be a boy. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. You're listening to Real Hope for today. When you hear this, this is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. They should face some sort of consequences. At the very least, what you put on there should be true. And if it's not true, then it should be actionable. Major social media outlets are finding ways to block the conservative evangelical viewpoint. The American Family Association will no longer be canceled. 
Announcing AFA Streaming, our own video streaming platform which will allow access to all AFA video content. AFA Streaming is now available. Learn more at afa.net. Steve Russo with Real Answers. 22-year-old Natalie Dillon, not a real name, tried to sell her virginity on eBay, but they shut her down. Undaunted, she appeared on a radio show to talk about her choice and then set up an auction on the website of a famous brothel. She says her motivation for such an extreme approach is so she can earn her master's degree in marital and family therapy without having to work while she's doing her studies. She's not the first to use the Internet to sell her body. There was a British woman before her. Natalie thinks what she's doing is empowering because she's using what she has to better herself. What a case of contradictions. It's another example of the lack of moral absolutes in our culture. The Bible reminds us to give our bodies to God because of all He has done for us. They are to be a living sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. To learn more about Real Answers, check out Steve's website, www.realanswers.com. Oops, there's a piece I missed a little bit. Grandpa, why do we always pick up litter when we go hiking? Well, we're just making it nicer for people who come after us a little bit. It's called stewardship. My grandfather taught me that you should always leave a place better than you found it, that it's important to invest in the lives of your children and grandchildren leaving them with a godly legacy they can build on. That's why I decided to set up a charitable gift annuity with the AFA Foundation. It's called stewardship. I know that my gift will support a ministry that honors the biblical principles I hold dear, and it's a way to invest in the future of our country. The AFA Foundation also arranged for me to have a steady fixed income, so I don't have to worry in the midst of changing times. Call the AFA Foundation today to find out how you can set up a charitable gift annuity. Just call 800-326-4543, extension 345. Welcome back to Real Truth for Today. I'm your host, Pastor Jeff Shreve, pastor at First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries, heard every weekday at 6 p.m. Central Time, on American Family Radio. We're talking to Ricky Shalette, the Executive Director of Living Hope Ministries, and Ricky has done uh, counseling with thousands of people and helped thousands of people who are struggling with same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria. So Ricky, as we kind of shift into um, the area of parenting, what is a parent to do if they sense, okay, I have a uh, a son who is other than, he is very, very sensitive. He is attracted to things that maybe the dad is not attracted to, not attracted to sports. He's attracted to theater or whatever it might be. Or a, a daughter that seems to be very, very masculine in her attractions. How does a parent uh, help their child navigate through those issues? Yeah, I one of the things I think is so important in this process is to help parents understand that their child has been wired by God, not as gay or transgender or bisexual or non-binary or any of those things, but has been wired and gifted by God for a purpose to be fulfilled uh, in the kingdom. And so if this little boy is incredibly sensitive and is musical and artistic and creative, or this girl is 
is more rough and tumble, if you will, and wants to do more outside stuff or hunting kinds of things, those kind of stuff that typically is associated with men, uh, that doesn't necessarily indicate that they should be something of the opposite sex. Uh, that just means that, that that's how, that's where their interests lie, that, that that's a, a desire in their heart that God has put there for a purpose. And we need to love our kids. We need to affirm the reality of God's created uniqueness in them and explore to them how they can be what it is that God created them as a man who likes art or as a girl who likes mechanics uh, or something like that uh, and let them know that that doesn't take away from the essence of their masculinity or femininity. And I think right now what we see is a very confusing message from the LGBT community on the one hand where it says we don't want to be uh, restricted by labels and uh, stereotypic understandings of masculine and feminine expression. And then at the same time, they say, well, if a little boy likes pink and he wants to wear a tutu or he's, um, you know, attracted to his mom's shoes, then he must really be a girl trapped in a boy's body. Well, no, maybe he's just a really artistic, creative, aesthetic little boy who sees the beauty that God has created and maybe he's going to grow up to be a Michelangelo, you know, uh, a same thing with a little girl who, who wants to, you know, go with her dad hunting or fishing or does outdoor stuff or doesn't want to dress up in dresses or wear makeup or any of those kind of things. That doesn't make her a boy. It just simply makes her a girl who's not interested in those things. And we need to affirm that in both of those children and let them know that they are fully masculine and fully feminine uh, in that reality. And, and we see that in Scripture. I mean, we have, you know, Exodus 35. You have men being created, a whole tribe of men created for the very purpose of, um, you know, embroidering the curtains in the temple and setting the jasper stones in the temple walls. You have women who are warriors, like Deborah, or, uh, you know, Miriam, who's a leader, or Phoebe, who's a deaconess. And so you, you have these women with very strong leadership potential and and uh, and demonstrating that leadership, that doesn't make them men. That makes them a woman called in that moment to do what it is that God has for them to do. Well, I've often said that, uh, you know, there's a huge difference in the way, uh, in, the, in the wiring of John the Baptist versus John the Apostle. Um, yep. you, you know, and God chooses all kinds of people. He makes us all different. We're not all the same. And so that's, that's right. a that's a good thing. Um how does somebody, Ricky, that that starts to feel like, well, well, maybe you know, we've all kind of followed the journey of Bruce Jenner, and and he said, you know, he always felt like God got it wrong. Uh, if you were to counsel him before he mutilated himself, um, what would you have said to to a Bruce Jenner that came to your office and said, I, I've been yeah. struggling with this for years. I, I must be a woman trapped in a man's body, right? What, what I would really do is try to help him see that um, though our modern-day medical people can alter his body in a way that would cause him to look and appear maybe more like a woman, the reality of his masculinity and his maleness uh, cannot be changed. I mean, scientifically, biologically, genetically, physiologically, uh, he is what he has been created to be. And to think that, you know, God has utterly made a mistake really removes God from his position as sovereign Lord in our lives 
and then creates ourselves as a God who is then creating ourselves in our own image. And what we are all, what we have all been instructed to do is to submit to the desires and some of the, the distorted desires of our own hearts in order to surrender to the fullness of who Christ is in us. And, and that is a call of every person who becomes a disciple of Christ. When you see, you know, Mark 8.32, where he says, you know, if you want to be my disciple, then you need to uh, deny yourself, take up your cross, and you need to follow me. Well, what Jesus is really saying in all three of those things, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, is you got to die, you got to die some more, and then you got to really put it to death. And so this, this dying process that we all have to do because we are infested with sin and infected with sin from the time we're born, Psalm 51 tells us that, uh, we have to know that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that is a result of that. We live in a world that's fallen short. Romans 8 tells us the world is groaning for redemption. And so we look at all these fallen things that are in place. Well, in our fallenness, we're needing restoration. We're needing redemption. And Jesus says, I've come to allow that to happen in your life. And so I would have said to, to Bruce, you know, man, I can't help you be a second-class woman, but I could possibly help you be the first-class man that God has designed you to be. And, and I really believe that to be true in every person that struggles with this. Now, that being said, let me be very clear that I do believe there is a mental condition that has historically been diagnosed as gender dysphoria. That is a mental condition uh, that some people encounter. It's a very small number of people, and you don't treat mental illness with physical uh, alteration. That doesn't really give you any solid help. What needs to happen is that person needs to be with a professional person who's experienced in this area and able to deal with some of the confusion that the person obviously has. Uh, but I think this idea that we have today where we can simply try on a gender like we would a pair of pants, you know, at Dillard's, I, I, I think is kind of a crazy idea. And we're encouraging uh, younger and younger people to do this. Matter of fact, in recent years, we have seen a massive increase in the amount of young girls who want to be now young boys. And, and they want to transition from girls to boys. We've never had that historically transgenderism has been largely a middle-aged male phenomenon that took place. And within the last 15 or so years, we've seen this massive increase in the number of young ladies, particularly young preteen and teenage girls. And I think, you know, just guessing, and I don't have any big, huge study to back this up necessarily, but in my observation of these young women, I think what's happened is a multiplicity of things. One, that um, you have a culture that is saying to be a woman is to be vulnerable, to be attacked, to be misused, to be mistreated. You have a Me Too movement that, that validated those horrific realities. Uh, you have uh, a pandemic that's taken place, particularly in the last you know several years, where everyone is isolated. You've got an LGBT community that's coming along saying that uh, you can have one of some in the neighborhood of 72 different gender identities. You have all this pushing against these young girls who are desperately seeking to find some way to fit in, to navigate their confusing and complicated lives, uh, to deal appropriately with their sexual feelings at the appropriate time, and, uh, and not knowing what to do with any of that. At the same time, you have parents who, trying to be good parents, 
often have both parents that are working. So the little girl doesn't have a real strong connection maybe with her mom and, and, and mom don't really have the time that she would normally have for those spontaneous serendipitous connections that girls really need to talk about life and love and all those things. And so you, you add all that together with a culture that's screaming at these kids to embrace all these different things and saying that if you embrace them, you will be more celebrated is if than if you just pursue the quote normal road of you know cisgendered or heterosexual norm- normativity. Well, we have the the suicide rates that seem to be off the charts for those who have gone the way of transgenderism. Uh, Ricky, why is that? Well, uh, you know, I think I mean I can't be for sure what the reason is. My guess would be that that ultimately once you make the transition, the applause stops because you've accomplished what it is that you want to accomplish. So all the attention that you got pre-transition or in the process of transition, once you make the transition, you actually become the woman or the man. Well, then everybody stops paying attention because you've already accomplished it. And then you suddenly realize as you look around and you compare yourself to other, if you're a guy to a girl, women, or if you're a girl to a guy, men, you quickly realize that even though you may have appeared to be more like a woman or like a man, you actually still aren't. You can't do the things that are inherently that of a male or that of a female. You know, there's never going to be a, a, a male to female person who's going to give birth to a child in the way that a woman does or have sex with a man the way that a woman does. You can't, you're not going to have a, a female to male person who is going to be necessarily as strong as men or uh, be able to impregnate a woman and bring forth a baby. Those things are not going to happen. And so ultimately, you're never going to be the fullness of what it is that God ultimately created you to be in the beginning. And, uh, and, and my heart grieves for folks who are believing this lie and are moving in that direction, taking hormones, altering their bodies, doing things which, to be honest, scientifically, we're not even sure what the results long term are going to be for those things. And so, so it, is a, it is a troubling, deeply troubling reality when when if they would just stop and say, wait a minute, why am I so intent to hate my body? Why do I feel so uncomfortable in my own skin? What is causing me to want to abandon what it is that the creator has created and create something different? If we can get to that source, I think God can bring healing and wholeness and restoration into that person's life. Amen. American Family Association has produced a great documentary called In His Image that deals with the issue of transgenderism and gender dysphoria. It is uh, very tasteful. It's very encouraging. It's truthful. I encourage all our listeners to go online and watch that, and especially watch it with your kids uh, because, I mean, Ricky, young kids, um, from the time they're, what, elementary school, they're getting bombarded with this message that, well, you are really a a little, you should have been a little girl, you should have been a little boy, and and the attention associated with that, as you said, is massive. That's massive fuel for that fire. Yeah, and and what's sad about it is once you get a kid who begins that process and kind of gets in that rut, it's going to be very difficult for them to then get out of it because they've now made declarations to people. People are supporting them and encouraging them. Parents are often signing off on it and thinking it's a good idea and it's the best thing for them for fear that their kid's going to kill themselves. And so, you know, the reality is, however, from, from statistical studies, that, that if a child is just left alone and isn't given the hormones and isn't encouraged to transition by the time they go through 
their puberty stage in adolescence that the majority of them, somewhere in the neighborhood of 80% of them, would resolve for the gender in which they were born. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to necessarily be heterosexual, but it does mean they're not going to be transgender. They're not going to distort their body and take hormones that could possibly hurt them or sterilize them for life. Uh, they're not going to do that. And so I think we need to really rethink how we're treating these young people. And uh, the reality is it's a very profitable business for lots and lots of people. And, uh, you know, we have upward of 80 different gender children's gender uh, dysphoria centers, uh, gender change centers now that are here uh, in the United States and some, you know, 300 places that young people can get hormones and treatments for, you know, gender confusion. And so uh, this this is just very scary what's happening right now in our world, because I do think that the long term, you know, consequences are going to be significant. Yeah, it's just terrible. It's it's just watching somebody destroy themselves. No wonder the suicide rate is so high. Well, Ricky, uh, we just have a few uh, few minutes left. What uh, what kind of reception do you get in the broader counseling community with what you're teaching and how you're helping people? Yeah, the majority of of Christian counselors that I deal with are very positive about the things that we share. Um, you know, they, they believe it's true. The big fear among most of the Christian counselors that are certified therapists is that um, they're fearful that their license are going to be pulled if they talk to anybody about this. And there are constant threats from the ATA that that's, in fact, what they intend to do. Uh, there are biblical counselors who, who are obviously positive about it and aren't certified in that way. They're not licensed counselors. But the licensed counselors are, are really fearful that soon they won't be able to do what they do. And, and we, as a ministry, feel like it could be very possible that there may be laws passed in the country that forbid us from even helping people who want help. We're not going out recruiting people. We're just helping those who show up and want help. But we Amen. might be able to be allowed to do that. Well, we've been ro- talking to Ricky Chalette, Executive Director of Living Hope Ministries. I'm Jeff Shreve, and this is Real Truth for Today. And we'll be back again tomorrow with a nugget of truth to help you in your day. God bless.